From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. If you had only 90 seconds to make a presentation to your perfect prospects, what would you say? That's what we're talking about today is how to make the perfect pitch. How do you get your point and your message across clearly and concisely in really any presentation? But it's going to be a fun way that we come at this because my guest is an expert on the pitch, pitching um, investors and uh, angel, angel investors and VCs and just helping entrepreneurs or people who have ideas go in and pitch to get funding. It's like the shark tank and like the shark tank in real life, you don't have a lot of time to get your point across. You come under fire and they hear there's a lot of noise. And so you only have literally a few minutes to get your entire dream across. And I think it relates because no matter what kind of leading you're doing or selling you're doing, there is such a a fight for people's attention spans that we all have a very short amount of time to try to capture people's attention. So I think this is relevant regardless of what what product or service that you're selling or just having any kind of a message that you're communicating. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So it's super exciting. And then at the end of the show, uh, John Livesey is our guest and that's what he does. He's a, basically a, a, a pitch uh, coach. He helps these people, these uh, entrepreneurs and so forth with ideas, get in front of investors and talks about how to pitch and why some get picked up and some do not. And so he's gonna, we're going to talk through that. And then after the show, I'm going to give you my highlights of all the things that I learned and a new thing. I'm going to translate it into five actionable behaviors that I want you to do after listening to this episode that I think will make an immediate increase in your sales. So we're going to take this all the way from the, the, the philosophical down to the practical, and you're going to walk out after listening to this episode, and you're going to know exactly how to take action. All of that and more on today's episode. We'll get started just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one -on -one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one -on -one business action planning session with a Southwestern coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. Hey, a good friend of mine named Tim Sanders introduced me to John Livesey, who you are about to hear. And it means a lot to me when I get introduced uh, from people that I respect like Tim. And uh, John Livesey is a funding strategist. So this is pretty interesting. So he helps CEOs and kind of entrepreneurs craft a compelling pitch 
that um, engages investors in a way that inspires them to to join a team, you know, to join a startup and to and to give money. So he's actually the host of a podcast that's called the Successful Pitch Podcast, uh, which has investors from around the world who listen in. And he's a pitch mentor at StartFast.net, which is the number one accelerator in upstate New York. And so John has a background in sales. Uh, for 20 years, he had a uh, career with Condé Nast, one of the, the top media sales companies, was salesperson of the year for them. But to me, I was fascinated. You guys know, if you listen, I love Shark Tank, and sometimes I'm talking about Shark Tank. And uh, and just, you know, here is a real-life guy who is coaching people and, and helping them create pitches. And I think whether you're a speaker or a leader or you're, you're running a church, we all got to use stories, and we're all making pitches. So I thought it would be cool to get his perspective. So John, Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, like, how did you get into this pitch world? Like, how do you even start going into, uh, yeah, I'm going to help, I'm going to help people perfect their pitch to raise money and to, and, and to, to, you know, get, attract investors. How'd you get into that? Well, my last position at Connie Nast was the executive director of corporate sales for all 22 brands, everything from Wire to GQ to Vanity Fair. And in addition to packaging print, digital, and video together from big brands like Lexus and Guess, they asked me to find startups that Condé Nast could use to help monetize the brands. Mm. And so I was doing all kinds of research looking for startups. For example, there's one called Hallstars, H-A-U-L-S-T-A-R-S. And they have a shoppable video player, which was helping solve the problem that people were not clicking on static banner ads and therefore, there was no return on investment. And so the digital spend was going to go away until I found a solution to bring Hallstars in and make it a rich media versus a static banner, tell a story, and then people could click on it and buy the clothes that were being in the video and make that come to life. Well, the problem was when I brought the tech CEO in was he really did not know how to pitch. And he confused the people at Style.com. They weren't sure of the pricing and what problem it was solving. He was talking about how it worked. And I thought, let me work with him and help him fix his pitch. And then I went with the rep from Style.com and the CEO to AG Jeans, and they said, this is exactly what we need. They did it. We got $30,000 worth of jeans sold in five days. So they were happy. Huh. He was off and running and got other clients. He had proof of concept. And I just realized, you know, if only 1% of pitches get funded, I know why now. It's because the people who create these tech startups are not sellers. <laughs> They're left brain people, right? And they talk about how something works. And as you probably know, and all your listeners, that people buy emotionally from the right side of the brain and then back it up with logic. So you have to grab people's attention and paint a picture and make it really easy to understand. So that's what made me decide I'm going to help people craft a pitch so that they can get funded. So I think the average person, you know, listening here to the show has probably never pitched an actual investor. Um, a lot of people here probably have seen Shark Tank, right? And so they edit it down and it's like this, you know, two minute interaction. Right. What do you think on, on average in a realistic scenario, if you are in front of a panel of VCs or angel investors or whatever, what do you, how much time do you think you are going to have typically to get your idea across? Well, one of our clients, Cole Smith, was able to get in front of an angel group thanks to our um, connections and coaching, and they gave him 10 minutes to pitch and a 10-minute Q&A. So that's what's really important for your listeners to realize is not only do you have to have a great pitch, 
but you have to know the answers to the questions just like they do on Shark Tank. The minute you lose credibility, the answer is no. Or the minute you confuse people, the answer is no. And even if you're given 10 minutes, you only have 90 seconds to grab their attention, to pay attention to you for the full 10 minutes. So that's <laughs> why it's so important to have a really strong opening. Mm-hmm. I love what you said there. The minute you confuse people, it's over. I mean, just you can't confuse prospects, never buy. We talk about that. And and um, so let's talk about the 90 seconds. And I, I think you make a great point about the Q&A also. And I don't think uh, we hear enough about that. I'd like to come back to that if, if we have time. But talk, talk to me about the 90 seconds. So I got 90 seconds to pitch an idea because I think this applies to every salesperson that's out there, regardless of what you're pitching. So what are some of the things you should do and should not do in 90 seconds? Well, don't waste the opening with the boring cliche things, whether you're giving a talk, giving a pitch, what, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, blah, blah, blah. You know, you tune people out, right? Nobody, nobody listens to that. I encourage people to open with a really strong question that grabs their attention. Did you know that only 1% of pitches ever get funded? Oh, what? That, that might grab your attention, right? Did you know that there's over, you know, X thousands of, you know, guns being taken into schools every day? You know, in the case of Cole, he's selling a platform to help keep schools safe from gun shooters. So he opens with a statistic that grabs your attention. You're like, and that our lizard brain, I call it, you know, taps in and says, oh, I might learn something. I didn't know that. Maybe what else he's going to say is interesting too. So opening with a question that's got a statistic that grabs your attention is a great way to get people to want to lean in and know more. In fact, the whole point of a pitch is to not tell people everything in 10 minutes, but to literally just get them to say, that's interesting. Tell me more. Let's ask some questions. Let's go into due diligence. So the whole point of a pitch is to get the second date. Mm, I like that a lot. Um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when I was in, when I was in college, I sold, uh, for five summers, I knocked on doors 14 hours a day, six days a week for Southwestern advantage. And they used to teach us that the goal of the approach is not to make a sale. The goal of the approach is to get in the house. Yeah. Uh, and, and don't get the two confused. Yep. Um, and, and so it seems really, really similar to what you're talking about here. So, so um, just for people who don't have a, a lot of background or knowledge about how this whole world of entrepreneurial kind of funding works, can you give us like a bird's eye overview of the process? So like what, what happens, how do you get, how do you even get that spot to be, to get the 10 minutes, then you're saying you have 10 minutes, then there's 10 minutes of Q and A. And they're like, what happens? This can be, give us like a bird's eye view of what this kind of process work uh, looks like. If you have an idea and you're going to like pitch to try to raise money. Sure. Well, it starts off with you having an idea typically, right? <laughs> and then one of the key things investors say is if you're selling dog food, I want to see the dogs eating the food. So one of the biggest mistakes people make is that I've got this great idea and people are going to give me money for my idea. When in fact, you're selling yourself. The investors invest in the jockey, not the horse. So you're the jockey and your horse is the idea because it will probably pivot even after you've been funded. So that's what you have to realize first. So there's all kinds of ways to get initial traction. Um, sometimes traction doesn't even have to be revenue. It can just be letters of intent, uh, people signing up for an email or an app. When this is up, I want to use it. Uh, really understanding the problem you're solving is the key and why you are uniquely qualified to execute this idea. So you can raise some money typically from friends and family, get a little bit of traction, get the app in a you know minimum viable product where there's something to show how it works. 
Um, but then the mistake a lot of people make is spending all this money on patents and the app being more, more developed where, and instead of getting money spent on figuring out how to get funded. Because if, that's the number one reason clients go out of business is no customers and number two is lack of funding. So you have to figure out how to play the game and what the rules are. So once you've got some friends and family and your own money invested in it, because investors want you to put your own skin in the game, then you can approach angel investors. And they typically invest in companies that are pre-revenue and early. And then once you've gotten that money and hit certain milestones of revenue, then you can approach venture capitalists. But the unknown kind of investor that I think your uh, listeners might find interesting is something called family offices. And family offices are another source of revenue that for investment, that those are billionaire, millionaire families that hire people to invest in startups. But all of them require a warm introduction. It's really the key. Just like you know, Tim Sanders introduced us, everything in life is your network, is your net knowledge, and who you know is everything. And investors say, if you can't figure out how to get a warm introduction to me, you probably can't figure out how to get to your customers. Mm. That's so interesting. What a what an what an interesting parallel. I think um, we actually get brought in. We have some some clients, John, that are VCs that with Southwestern Consulting, and so that's what'll happen is we get brought in a lot because of what you're saying. Is they'll say, "Hey, we just acquired XYZ company, and we need to get their revenues up." And that's when they that's why they they call Southwestern Consulting because it's like we need sales systems, we need structure, we need scripts, we need you know metrics, we need a process that can be scalable or duplicatable in order for us to grow this thing and then you know maybe resell it again or whatever whatever the path is. Um, and I think that's such a valuable lesson. Uh, uh, there's so many valuable lessons in what you just said. One in realizing that the investors invest in the jockey, not the horse. Um, and two, that um, you know, companies, uh, startups are spending their spend all their money kind of developing this this product and patents and all these things, and not enough money and not enough time and energy focused on getting the client. And then the other thing that you said, which I think applies to everybody listening, is it's all about understanding the problem. You have to have clarity about understanding the problem that you solve. Um, Yes, but just you, jump on that. The more you understand the problem, the better the investors think you have the solution. Mm-hmm. The same thing is true for your customers. No matter what you're selling, the better you can articulate the problem they're experiencing, then they're willing to listen to your solution. Yeah, it's almost like you have to sell the problem as yep. much as you have to sell the solution. But you got to sell the problem before you sell the solution. And the best way to do that is show empathy. It must be so frustrating to be talking to all these investors and they always say no and you're in the wrong room and you don't know even know why you're getting a no. And people, oh my God, yes, you know exactly what I'm experiencing. You have shown me empathy. You understand my problem. I need your help. See how that works? Hmm. Ah, so expand on that a little bit. So you say, so you kind of breeze, you breeze through that right there, but I think that's powerful. So you're saying like the, 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 almost like the script for articulating the problem is to, to show empathy with the customer. Yes, and I was giving an example of the people that hire us to help them get funded. Uh, uh-huh. So if you, sh- but when you're pitching an investor to get your startup funded, you have to show empathy for the customer that the problem you're solving. So let's say you're Uber, you know, pitching an investor before this idea even started, right? Can you? How many times has this ever happened to you? Right? You're standing in the rain in New York City. You can't get a cab, right? Or the line to get a cab in Vegas is a mile long and it's 100 degrees outside. Wouldn't it be great if you could order? You understand the problem. 
But where the real secret sauce is, is if you put yourself in the investor's shoes and show empathy, not only for your customer whose problem you're solving with your startup, but you show empathy for the investor. Gosh, I'm sure you've heard a lot of pitches today. And let me jump right into why this one's different. Or if I was in your shoes, I'd be looking for a big return on my investment too. And here's what I've got to do that. Here's my exit strategy. That really separates you. That's interesting. I've never really heard it said quite like that. I've heard, you know, find the pain, understand the problem, but never articulate it by just like showing empathy, like as if it were your, uh, explain it as if it were your problem. And that's really, um, I think that's super powerful. (laughs) Thanks. Well, that's the storytelling that comes alive. Um, Because when you put people in a situation, you're painting a picture and then you're showing empathy at the same time. And that's what causes people to want to connect with you and and work with you because investors have to trust you. They have to like you and they have to know you before they're going to invest in you. And those are all the unspoken things that are going on when you're pitching. So you have to realize if you have 10 minutes, don't spend five minutes on a product demo. You need to sell yourself. Tell a story of how you had to overcome challenges that you're not going to give up easily. You know, you asked earlier about tapping into the Q&A that you're going to get asked. You're going to get asked questions like, What made you come up with this idea? Why are you uniquely qualified to execute it? And then the big one is, how much does it cost to acquire a customer? If you haven't thought through some of those answers, you're not going to get funded. Mm -hmm. Coming back to the, I want to come back to the jockey thing for a second. So you said, um, I think that's really powerful that people invest in the jockey, not the horse. Um, so are there, are there any other ideas or tips? Because selling yourself is something that every salesperson, again, here does. So when it comes to selling yourself, you know, on the one hand, if you, if you look at the, the continuum, on the one hand, it's like, I'm not talking at all about myself. I'm just talking about product um, because I don't want to be, I don't want to come off as an arrogant know-it-all. On the other hand, all I do is talk about myself and how great I am. And now it's like people go, well, I'm not going to invest in this guy because he's not going to be coachable and he's not going to be humble. He's not going to do what he said. So how do you, how do you find that, that, that space on the continuum where you're, you're selling yourself, but you're not like overdoing it? Or what are some of the things that you think you can do to, to help with that? Well, I understand what you're saying because it sounds like, you know, there's obviously a difference between being confident and being arrogant, right? That's your question. Sure. And, you know, confident people are quietly humble. They make eye contact. They're warm. And they tell you a story of a situation that where they had some challenges and they still came through even though they might have been scared or frustrated or didn't give up. And, for example, entrepreneurs who have had successful exits from other startups are gold. That's what investors look for because they know you've been through it before and don't give up easily. And their money is much better spent because you probably have a much higher odds of success if you have a successful exit strategy. So that's very important to bring up uh, your previous successes in a Mm -hmm. way that shows that you have tenacity without just saying, I have tenacity. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, again, coming back to that story kind of a thing is is not not hey I've got it all figured out, but hey here's something I've struggled through and can you relate? Right. Well, people remember your stories, not your numbers, and that's what's really the aha moment. If you tell me a compelling story and I hear ten pitches in a day, I'm going to remember the one that has a great story that really stands out. Let me tell you an example of one. My client Martin came to me and I said, 
Let's build your confidence up by stacking those moments of certainty in your life when you knew you nailed it. And he said, okay, well, one I came up with was I grew up in the Netherlands, but I'm originally from South America. And when I turned 18, my parents took me back to South America and dropped me off naked in the Amazon jungle to survive for two weeks. In my culture, that's the rite of passage into manhood. And I said, guess what, Martin? We just found the opening to your pitch because that grabs my heartstrings. That gives me goosebumps. I said, what did you learn surviving in the Amazon jungle? Well, I learned how to focus and pivot and persevere. I said, great. We're going to take those lessons from the Amazon jungle to the concrete jungle of being an entrepreneur. And when we had that honed and practiced, he won a pitch contest and got the funding he was seeking because when the investors put their head down at night on their pillow, they go, I put my money on that guy that survived the Amazon jungle because if he can survive that, he'll survive any obstacles. Mm-hmm. That is powerful. Yeah. And everyone has maybe not that dramatic of a story, but there is some story that will make you memorable to people uh, and make it come alive. Mm-hmm. Just be like, I ran around my neighborhood naked for two weeks That's and I didn't get caught. That's equally powerful. <laughs> you, know what's, um. <laughs> you know, exposition is a key part of storytelling, you know, who, where, when, and all that. And when Martin was practicing that with me, sometimes he would forget to say it's a rite of passage into manhood. And I said, Martin, if you don't say that, it sounds like child abuse, right? You got to have enough exposition to paint the picture, uh, but not too much that you take all the time doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So let me uh, just, again, just uh, interested more in like the backdrop here, um, you know, for frame of reference, if under scenarios, I'm sure that this varies dramatically, but uh, in a normal sort of pitch scenario, let's say, what are, what are some of the amounts of money that you think are common to ask for in these types of scenarios? Um, I mean, is it, is it kind of similar like on Shark Tank? You know, they're usually asking for somewhere between 50000 and like a half a million is kind of normal. And they're giving up anywhere from like 10% of their company to maybe like 50%. Is that pretty realistic in what you see out there in the, in the you know, kind of average world of pitching? <laughs> um, Shark Tank, a lot of it's done for entertainment purposes. So keep that in mind. While it does give a lot of relevant information, some of it is a little too out there. Um, for example, no investor should ever ask for 50% of your company um, because you want the founder to maintain a control in the company so that they're you know, committed to making sure that this is a huge success. Once the founder loses you know, 50% uh, control and he's basically working for somebody else at that point, um, the average valuation of a company that's pre-revenue is between three to five million dollars. So you can imagine, depending on how much money you need, angel groups for the most part start at 250000 all the way up to a million. And once you hit certain milestones, then you go to VCs, which are looking to invest two to three million. Anything less than $250,000 typically is friends and family or even crowdfunding. Hmm. Say that again. You said, so, so if you have those three levels, you got less than two hundred and fifty k. If you're trying to raise that, that's got to be that's friends and family. Friends and family or crowdfunding. And, you know, $50,000, $100,000, that's usually done by friends and family or crowdfunding. Angel groups can can give you $100,000, but all that early money you get is the most expensive money, especially if you're pre-revenue, because they want, you know, they have to figure out how much money, if I'm giving you $100,000 and your company's worth, you know, you're saying your company's worth $2 million, but there's no revenue to prove that, you know, it's all that. So you have to give up more uh, percentage of your company early on. So we recommend, you know, take enough money 
that will give you 18 months. And then you can focus on hitting those milestones for 12 and then spend the last six months of raising your next round. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And you got, um, and so you're saying then like VCs is usually a couple million and like one to 2 million. That's when you're talking to VCs more than angels. Higher than that. Yeah. Because uh, VCs aren't usually interested unless you have a lot of revenue already. And so that's, you know, they typically kick in, and, you know, angels can go as high as 3 million because you can get a million from one group, a million from another 500,000 from somebody else. So the whole round could be 3 million and that's still considered an angel seed round. Um, but then VCs kick in where you already start having uh, revenue typically. Okay. So angel is basically pre-revenue. That's like a per- yes. generally how to think about it. Exactly. And uh-huh. uh, you know, all bets are off if you have somebody who founded PayPal on your board of advisory or, you know, as your one of your co-founders, then people are willing to, you know, up the valuation tremendously. But if this is your first startup, then that's typically the rule of thumb. That's interesting to me that a company with no revenues might get a valuation of as high as three to five million. That seems yeah. really high. Um, <laughs> well, that's what the, all the press is about, the bubble um, of, of all that. And that's, you know, when you're pitching, one of the things you talk about is how big is the market? And one of the biggest mistakes people make is we, if we only get 1% of this whole market, we'll be rich. No, you have to show a strategy of how you're going to build and, and grow that market. But investors are you know, looking for the unicorns to get a huge return on their investment. So they want a big idea with a big market potential. Um, otherwise, it's not worth um, them putting their money in for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, just interesting because you go, okay, if you have never done this before and you're going to pitch someone on a $3 million, if, if, if you have a, if let's assume your revenues are under 5 million, a, a three multiple would still mean that you are throwing off. I mean, you'd be, you're kind of saying you think you could produce, um, like a million dollar bottom line, a million dollar bottom line on a three, a three multiple would be like a $3 million valuation. Right. So that's kind of bold to say, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking within 18 months, I can have a company that's generating a million dollars in profit. Is that not the right way to think about it? No, that's, that's, you know, the, the, typically the, you know, when you do your financial projections on a pitch deck, it's, um, usually an aggressive sales growth, um, that has to be based in some logic and some fact. But if you're getting five hundred thousand a million dollars to spend in advertising and hiring salespeople, and you're solving a big problem and that people want to spend money on to solve that problem, then that can happen. Hmm. That's interesting. It's just so counterculture to the world that you know that I've grown up in. It's like you don't you don't you don't raise money. What you do is you go out and you make a sale, and from yeah. whatever you sell it for, that's the money you have to to invest and grow the business. That just it's just really it's fascinating stuff to me. Um, well, um, so John, I, I have I have um, a couple other questions for you, but before I do that, I want to make sure I don't skip over. Um, this has been this is so fascinating. This whole world is fascinating, and I think what you're talking about here of this the the concepts of of being able to get your message across quickly and capture attention in 90 seconds and you know basically convince somebody to give you tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in a 10 minute window it's, it's really compelling and and uh, so where do you want people to go to connect with you and and kind of learn more about you and stay in touch sure the easiest thing to do if you want to know the three mistakes to avoid when pitching is to text the word funding to 66866 and I'll send you a free PDF 
or you can just go to my website, johnlivesay.com, and you can see the Successful Pitch podcast there or on iTunes and watch a webinar and, and learn more about how to get your startup funded. Uh, great. And that it's, what did you say? It's text funding to, to what? Yeah. Six, six, eight, six, 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 eight, six, six. Um, very, very cool. So last thing, um, I, your, your favorite closing secret is something I want to ask you about because I, I said this over and I was like, uh, you know, so give me some examples, John, how do you think we could tie this back to a lot of our audiences and sales and, and, um, because we've never really had anybody like you on the show, which I think is, is really, really interesting. And it's been awesome. But you said, well, one of the questions I should ask is your favorite closing secret. And I go, ah, that's, that's good because that's, that's what we need. So what do you, what is your favorite closing secret? My favorite closing secret, the old way of selling is ask somebody if they want to buy the house, for example. And then the first person who speaks loses, right? That's the old way of doing it. The, okay. the closing secret that works is when you become comfortable with the silence in your head, you become comfortable with the silence in the room. So the secret is, would you like to buy the house? And then instead of all the negative self-talk that can kick in, like, oh, my God, I really need this commission, or if I have to show him one more house, I'm going to lose my mind, you simply say to yourself, I am patient and calm three times while you let decide whether he wants to buy the house or not. And he energetically feels it. And it's not a battle of who speaks first. I've had real estate agents double their sales just from that one secret. Because the minute you open your mouth and say, if I throw the refrigerator in, would you buy it then? You're back to negotiating. So becoming comfortable with silence by quieting the thoughts and becoming comfortable with the silence in your head is the best closing secret I've ever found and used. Mm, interesting. I love the idea of being comfortable with the silence. That's that is a, a an unexpected sales tip from uh, a gentleman who has had uh, a very very unique sales career. I mean, do some research on Condé Nast. You'll see just uh, the the powerful the brands that that they have uh, associated with that that John has directly worked on and now uh, basically becoming an expert here in this these ten minute pitches. Um, so if you're somebody that's interested in that, you definitely go check him out. And, uh, John, I appreciate you, uh, being here and, and thanks for sharing some of your, some of your experience and, and some of your insights. It's been great. My pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. I don't know about you, but I find it fascinating having conversations like that. I, I love learning from people who are outside the normal mainstream that I might learn from. And I think there's so much value to it. I think one of the things that's so beautiful about Southwestern Consulting is what we do is is we are like this incubator of great sales ideas because our coaching clients are across all these different industries, right? And so what happens is we're coaching somebody that is a, a loan officer and they sell mortgages and we're able to introduce to them an amazing idea that we learned from some dentists or an accountant, right? And, and vice versa. And I think there's so much power to learning from outside of the normal mainstream that you would learn from. And John is a great example of that. There were so many powerful ideas that, hey, yeah, maybe you're not an entrepreneur. Maybe you never plan on pitching um, to raise money or, or maybe you just would never plan on, on needing money like that. But the, the, the power of uh, that perspective, I think, is super, super, super um, 
just useful and valuable. So I uh, wanted to highlight, I'm going to share with you kind of the five biggest highlights that I took from that and also challenge you with five behaviors that I think that if you're in any kind of sales um, that you need, which is all of us, um, that you should that you should take, and this is one of my goals that I have, is translating a lot of the, the stuff that we talk about here on the podcast to immediately uh, actionable items for you and kind of going, okay, here's what we talked about. Here's what I took away. Now, here's what you can do, and that's something that we're moving as, a, as with all of our coaching clients. We're doing the same thing. We're always talking about, okay, here's how you put this into action. Um, so I'm going to walk you through some of these ideas because I think there's some real practical stuff that came out of that interview. So the, the number one uh, first tip that hit me, what John was talking about, was when he said, the minute you confuse people, it's over. The minute you confuse people, it's over. Confused prospects never buy. You have to keep it simple. It has to be stupidly simple. People have to be able to articulate without even thinking about it what it is that you do exactly. And if they can't do it in one sentence or really even a couple words, then you're making it too complicated and that is a problem, right? We're, we're not just competing for market share. We are competing for what Scott McCain calls mind share. And so we have to keep it super simple. It's a journey that Southwestern Consulting has been on. Uh, I think I've shared this. We're, we're in the middle of a, a rebrand, which is exciting. It's been going on for like a year, and we're just we're just getting ready to start rolling it out here in the next few months. And it's been, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but um, we have worked tirelessly uh, to just find a couple simple words to really uh, con- communicate what we do and how it's different from everybody else, which you'll get to hear about um, in, the, in the future. But um, so here's a behavior. Here's a challenge for you. What I want to do, is I want to challenge you to shorten your next sales presentation by 25%. Shorten your next sales presentation by 25%. So if it's an hour, do it in 45 minutes. Um, you know, like if it if you normally spend 10 minutes, try to do it in seven and a half minutes. Shorten your presentation because what that does is that helps you really focus and boil it down to the essence. And that's what great salespeople do is they communicate in terms of essence. And that's how you don't confuse people. The second tip, which is related, and this was the second big highlight for me as I was went back and I was listening to everything that John said, was don't tell people everything you know. Don't tell them everything you know. And that will help you make sure you don't confuse people and it helps keep it simple and it helps keep it short. But, but this is one of the greatest challenges for salespeople is we know so much. We have so much to share. And we think it's a disservice to not tell everybody or to not tell someone everything we know. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a disservice to try to tell them everything you know because by telling them more than they can retain, they they retain less. So less uh, but better, right? Less sometimes is better or less but better to take uh, our, our recent past guest, Greg McEwen, author of Essentialism, and that's part of what we're talking about here, too, is just finding the essential. So um, here's, here is the um, behavior, is to tell stories. And more specifically, what I would like you to do is I would challenge you to write out your best customer story that shows the transformation. 
right? So without telling somebody what you do, just think about, okay, just say, if somebody said, well, what do you do for a living? You say, well, I work with people like Jane, and Jane was this, and Jane struggled with this, and Jane didn't think she could do this, but what we did with Jane was this, and the outcome of Jane's life was this. If you can have that down, like that is the presentation, and people latch onto those stories. So you don't have to tell people everything. All you have to do is tell those stories. And, you know, remember when you're telling stories that the, the story is the struggle. The story is in the, the struggle. Talk about what they had to overcome, what their challenge was, and that will make a great presentation. Number three. Number three highlight that I took from John was when he said, the investors invest in the jockey, not the horse. Investors invest in the jockey, not the horse. That is such a great principle and such a great lesson. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it means sell yourself. But even more than that, you have to build yourself, right? Like you are the product. It doesn't matter. I mean, that's the thing we all have in common, no matter what industry you're in or what your job title or how big your business or how long you've been in the industry. All of us are selling ourselves. We are all the product. And so the behavior here that I want to invite you to is I want you to spend some time reading and educating yourself, right? Spend more time educating yourself. The more that you're learning, the more valuable you become as a product. The more, the, the more worth you have, the more expertise that you can provide. And obviously, I'm preaching to the choir if you're listening to this podcast. Invest into yourself. That is making you an investable asset. You're growing your own capacity for leadership and success and customer service when you're educating yourself. Your income will be a reflection of, of that for sure. The, the investors invest in the jockey, not on the horse. So do that for yourself. Um, number four, you must understand the problem that you solve. That was such a great highlight for me and reminder for me was that you have to sell the problem as much as you sell the solution, right? Like people, even even that phrase, solution-based selling, has become a popular catchphrase, and and you know I get what people are saying with that, but but that's not really what people are 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 buying so much. I mean, I guess that what they're what what causes people to buy is not solutions, it's problems. And you have to be clear on the problem and you have to be able to articulate the problem and you have to be able to communicate the problem. The more, the more you understand the problem that you solve, the more likely you are to make the sale. So here's the behavior. I want you to spend at least 25% of your next presentation talking about the problem asking questions about the problem, demonstrating the problem, articulating the problem, right? The, the Finding the problem or selling the problem is the sale. Uh, last week, we had Ricky Roundup at Southwestern Consulting. We had um, some of our new team members, our new coaches come into Nashville, and they're going through training, and we were listening to some live recordings and um, of some of some of the sales presentations from our team, and we were listening to this this one, and somebody asked the question. They said, hey, how long should this presentation be? And everyone went around the room, and they were talking about, well, normally, you know, this conversation should last around 45 minutes. But when we listened to the recording, three and a half minutes in, this uh, live recording of one of our coaches um, asked a question that was so powerful 
and the response that the prospect gave was so emotional. What I was telling everybody in the room is I said, she could have closed right there. It, it didn't have to be 30 minutes. It could have been three minutes. If you understand the problem that you solve and if you get people emotional about that problem and you get them you know, excited in a way about the problem and you, 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 you highlight or spotlight the problem, then that is the sale. You don't have to overcomplicate things. You don't have to tell people everything. You don't even have to tell them really anything about your product or service. If, if, if they get that you get what their problem is, then they will trust you to solve it. If they get that you get what their problem is, they will trust you to solve it. And it doesn't have to take 30 minutes. It can be three minutes, boom, there's the problem. What's the impact of that? And you move forward. And then you, you, you explain to them how to get it, and you ask, you ask them for their business. you got to understand the problem. So I would encourage you to spend the first 25% of your presentation just focusing on making sure you find the problem. Now, if you find the problem, for goodness sake, don't just keep going just because you feel like you need to keep going. Find the problem, fill the problem, ask for the sale, move on. Find the problem, fill the problem, ask for the sale, move on. You don't have to expand, expand, expand. What you have to do is you have to get people emotional. If you can get them emotional in three minutes, that's all you need. You could sell a quarter million dollar service or a quarter million dollar product in three minutes if you get that emotional response and you hit the heart and you pinpoint that problem. So don't overcomplicate it. Don't make it longer than it has to be. But in your mind, you want to at least be thinking of the behavior of dedicating more time to talking about the problem and selling the problem and not as much time selling the solution. And we're making this shorter, right? You just cut off 25% uh, um, and now you're going to spend 20, a fourth of what's left making sure you've got time allocated to solve the, to, to talk about the problem. And then only a few minutes hitting on the problem and solving the problem, and then you move, you move forward. Um, and the last one, which is related to everything that we're talking about here, which was really, really cool, and I've not heard anybody say this, and I mentioned it in the interview too, was show empathy. And not just show empathy, but articulate empathy. Articulate the pain that you're solving. Um, usually when I hear of empathy, I, I think of kind of emotionally relating to the person that, or the prospect that maybe you're talking to, but I don't often think of it as actually using the words and describing the scene of somebody who's struggling with the thing that you solve. And so here's your behavior. I wanted to challenge you to write out all of the ad adjectives that describe what your perfect prospect is struggling with. So just sit down and write out what are all the adjectives that describe what my perfect customer, what are they struggling with? Because if you can nail that, then you will have clarified the problem. So if you're shortening your presentation, write out your best customer story, make sure you're reading and educating yourself, Spend. make sure at least you have... Uh, budgeted a fourth of the time of your presentation to be talking about the problem rather than the solution. And if you have all the adjectives written out that describe the actual words that are the, the actual words that your prospect would use to describe the problem they are having, then you are well 
on your way, you are well on your way to increasing sales and to and to solving people's problems. And that's what this is about, right? And this stuff isn't isn't none of the the, the strategies and techniques and things that we talk about selling, none of it is meant to be manipulative. In fact, it's the opposite. A great salesperson, it, it, it feels it's, it's less manipulative because it's less selling. You're not convincing people of things they don't want or they don't need, and you're not just pressuring, 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 and, and pushing, 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 and talking, talking, talking. All you're doing is finding out, do they have a need that you can solve? And if they have a need that you can solve, highlight that, get clear on that, tell them a story about somebody who had a similar problem that you solved, and then show them how to move forward. And that isn't selling, that is serving. It's saving people time, it's saving people energy, it's taking things that are otherwise complicated and complex, and it is making them concise and clear. It's helping people, it's solving their problem, and it's giving them hope by showing them stories or telling them stories that other people have overcome. If you learn how to do that, I promise you're going to be moving from selling to serving. So go out this week, do these five things, and serve. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that really helps us out. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.